And one of the things that you see in these stories here in the book of Mark and in the, in the chosen series is you see lives being changed by the power of Jesus Christ. King Jesus in action, changing lives, bringing His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's one of the reasons why we're having testimony time uh, before the, the message on, on Sunday is to hear about that change that Christ has brought with His good news of the kingdom into your life. As we've said, if you're a Christian, you have a testimony. You have a story of redemption, a story of God's rescue in your life to share with others. And the Psalms tell us, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we want to do that. We want to, we want to speak about Jesus and tell of His rescue and redemption in our lives. Um, we're going to actually look at these two particular miracles that Jesus did in Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. The title of this message is The Compassion, Healing, and Forgiveness of Jesus. Last week we focused in on Jesus, uh, the King, in action. He went around preaching. He went around healing. He went around delivering people who were demonically oppressed and dominated by demon spirits. He was in action, bringing the kingdom of God, clashing with the kingdom of darkness, and changing lives. And as his fame spread, as people started to talk about him more, and people wanted to see this healer, this guy who had the power to reverse sickness, This guy who had the power to tell demons to leave and they left. And so people wanted to hear this Jesus guy. They wanted to check him out. Hey, and bring Aunt so-and-so. She's not feeling well. Bring her too. So so he's getting bombarded with people. And, And what does he do? Instead of rolling with the tide of all the popularity that was coming his way, he rose up early in the morning And he went to spend time with his heavenly father. He spent time in prayer. And he he centered himself on, on the father's agenda. He didn't allow the pressures of the crowds to get him out of sync with what the father had called him to do. Now, healing and deliverance was a part of that, manifesting the kingdom but he said in Mark 1, 38, he said, let us go preach to the other towns for this purpose. I've come forth. And so he wanted to continue to spread the message about the kingdom of God. He didn't want just he didn't want to just gather people who were interested in seeing miracles and experiencing a miracle. He wanted to tell the good news of the kingdom to people who were hungry to hear the truth about the Messiah, about the king, about the reign of God. That has come. And so let's tune in here to chapter 1, verse 40, and look at Jesus healing this leper. Fathers, we open your word, open our eyes to see wonderful things, and capture our hearts with your beauty, with your power. Capture our hearts with um, your compassion and forgiveness, and may we be instruments of compassion. Conduits of healing into the lives of other people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 40 says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, 
If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room. And even at the door, he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up and take your bed and walk. But that you may know That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And all God's people said, Amen. Again, we see Jesus in action. And in this scene, we see Jesus revealed his nature and his authority as the Son of God by being willing and able to forgive sin and heal sickness. That's our big idea this morning. Jesus revealed his nature and authority as the Son of God by being willing and able to forgive sin And heal sickness. He brought the good news of the kingdom of God. He declared it. And he displayed the power and authority of the kingdom right before the eyes of the people. Who is this man? Now let's just talk a little bit about leprosy here. Here's a a picture I grabbed from the internet on leprosy. In the Old Testament, there's instructions about what a leper was supposed to do, how they were to live, and they were to be isolated from the community of the Israelites for the sake of that sickness not spreading to others. And so they had to live in isolated communities. And not only were they feeling terrible things in their bodies, sociologically, um, relationally, they were feeling cut off from the community. 
aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, parents, friends. Uh, David Garland says, in the time of Jesus, leprosy was viewed as a classic punishment for sin. It was a telltale sign that the sufferer was the culprit who committed sins unknown to his neighbors. The suffering indicated that while sin might be hidden from others, it could not be hidden from God, and it served as a forewarning of the ultimate fate of the sinner. And so in the Old Testament, there were, there were a handful of people who were sinning, and then leprosy broke out on their body. It was, it was a result of, a direct result of their sin. Now, Jesus does make it clear in the Gospel of John that not every single case of sickness is directly related to someone's personal sin. Like when his disciples asked, who sinned? Was it this man or was his parents that he should be born blind? And Jesus says, neither. Neither. There's, there's a third option that you guys don't, don't know about. It's that the glory of God might be revealed this day, right? But all sickness and brokenness in the world is, a, is a, ultimately is a result of the original sin. Back in Genesis chapter 3, sin and sickness and destruction came into the world. But not every sickness that you and I experience is a direct result from our personal sin, though it can be. And it's an option to consider. Leprosy, it was a terrible thing to have. One writer, one doctor says this, leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its color. It gets to be thick and glossy and scaly. The thickened spots become dirty sores, ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begins to bunch up with deep furrows between the swelling so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. The disease-producing agent frequently attacks the larynx. The leper's voice acquires a, a, a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse so that you can not only see, smell, feel, and smell the leper, you can hear the rasping voice. And it's a, it's a, it's a picture of what this broken world has come to because of sin ultimately. Over this last year, when my wife was, got coronavirus in November, we treated her like a leper in the house. You know, it, it felt really bad, you know. Mama was quarantined to the room. And it was really tough for our two-year-old to, to, for that to register at first. But then, you know, everybody kind of got used to it for ten days. Mama was in there. We would bring her food. We could still Marco Polo. We could still go to this, the window in the, in the bedroom and have meals through the window and turn on the speakerphone and talk to Mama without getting coronavirus from her. But we had to go through this, this time of quarantining with, within our home. And then, of course, we quarantined as a family, right? And for many in the past year, this has been a terrible experience, especially those who have loved ones in, on their deathbed dying of coronavirus, dying of complications from coronavirus, and they're not able to even be present there with them in the room because of the sickness. That stings, that hurts. We've, we've felt a little bit of the brokenness of the world in that sense this year. 
But imagine the life of a leper. The life of a leper living in isolation from their family and friends and all that they know, all the, the good that they've experienced in life through relationships, and they're, they're isolated away from the rest of the world. This was a painful thing. And so what we see in this is Jesus shows up. And by the way, you, you were to stay far away from lepers. They had to stay at least like 50 steps away from you. And they had to shout out, unclean, unclean. But somehow this leper got close enough. Like he shows up and they're like, oh, leper, right? We saw in the scene here. And he came to Jesus. He shows up and he gets close enough. And Jesus, Jesus touches him. It says that he's, he's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. He's, uh, the leper's crying out, imploring him, and kneeling and said, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus was moved with pity. Now take note of this, because we're going to see this phrase several times in the gospel, and it reveals the heart and the nature of Jesus Christ and the heart of God, the heart of the Father. The one who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We see Jesus moved, moved inside. There's this, there's emotion there. There's love and there's this compassion that actually moves him internally, emotionally, and moves him to action to use his power, to yield his power, to wield his power for the good of this sick person right before his eyes. And notice what happens. Notice that when Jesus comes in contact with the leper, Jesus then becomes sick and unclean. The leper becomes healed. Right? Jesus didn't get infected by his sickness or any sins that he might have had. But Jesus brought healing to him through the touch. And so my first point this morning is that Jesus is compassionate and personal. Get a glimpse of the glory of who he is this morning. He is compassionate and merciful. He cares about sinners and he cares about sick people who are in misery. There's an article, a short, short little article written by B.B. Warfield uh, titled The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And he says this, The emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to that of Jesus, whose whole life was a mission of mercy, and whose ministry was so marked by deeds of benefits that it was summed up in the memory of his followers as going through the land, quote, doing good, is no doubt compassion. This summarized the ministry of Jesus. Compassion. When he saw someone suffering and in misery, he was moved with compassion. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by this because many times I've seen people in misery and I had a, I had a schedule to keep up with. I had a special appointment to keep up with, a family time, a date night, or something special. Just, or just work. I had to get to work. Or I had a meeting going on. And, and there's been many times where I've felt lack of being moved by seeing somebody uh, in misery. 
And I think that's something that reveals something wrong and broken within me. I, I think that's been highlighted within this last year with coronavirus. One of the things that I've noticed and it makes me sad is that my level of personal evangelism has, has kind of lowered in this past year because when I'm out at the store or the grocery store, I'm a little too more focused on keeping distance from other people who might have the coronavirus. Keep my mask on. You keep your mask on. And like the times that sometimes there's been a few times where where I do try to engage and, you know, they come up without the mask and they're talking, you know, like, you know, like it's no big deal. And I'm like, all right, man, I want to talk to you, but just keep your distance. Right. And and so internally, I've had that thing going on. But with Jesus, it's different. He subjected himself to this place of of being close enough to this leper that he could actually touch him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel of what he's done for you and I? He's come near to you and I who are unclean sinners. And he comes to take the curse of sin upon himself. Uh, the scripture tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In Second Corinthians, Jesus bore that. He, he bore our infirmities on his body, Isaiah 53 says. He stepped into this brokenness and the messiness of this world. And he didn't let the unclean lepers and sinners scare him. Because he was moved with love and compassion and he was on a mission to do his Father's will. And he was surrendered to the Father's will. And so we see the compassion of Jesus. We see the personal, relational aspect of Jesus. That that he was approachable even by a leper. And Jesus probably healed many lepers. There were many lepers in Israel in those days. He was approachable, even, you know, like when, when, when children wanted to come to Jesus and his disciples were like, no, no, leave him alone. He's too busy for you guys. He's like, no, guys, let them come. You know, many times people are trying to get to Jesus and, and they're, they're, they're being hindered by the crowd. And Jesus is like, come on, just come. And so in that, we see the compassion of Jesus, that he's willing to touch this leper and heal this leper. We see that Jesus is willing and able. It's one thing to be willing. Jesus has not only the willingness, but he has the willingness and the power. He's moved with compassion to use his kingdom authority to display love and compassion by healing the sick. It says immediately the leprosy left him. He's willing and he's able He says, Lord, if you are willing, and I I love this. I love how he appeals to the willingness of Jesus. If if you want to, if, if if, if you see it good in your will to heal me, would you do it? I love that posture that he comes with. And Jesus responds favorably. So one of the things that's interesting, I'm sure that many of you are are probably scratching your heads with, with, like I have been, is why does Jesus, after he heals him, why does he sternly charge him and, and tell him, see that, that you don't tell anyone? Don't say anything 
to anyone. Does that puzzle you? Does that, does that make you wonder like, okay, I thought we were supposed to go tell everybody about what Jesus has done. And yes, yes, we are supposed to do that. But why in these cases, and, we, and we'll see a number of these in the book of Mark, why does Jesus say, hey, just keep it hush-hush for now? Well, I found, that, I found this by uh, Danny Atkin to be very helpful. Some seven observations on, on what could be going on here of why Jesus concealed his messiahship, urging why he could conceal his messiahship uh, concerning his earthly ministry. Number one, Jesus wanted to avoid the impression of being a mere miracle worker or magician. He was more than a miracle worker. Jesus wanted to avoid unhelpful publicity to have more moments of private teaching with his disciples. Uh, notice that as the word got out, as the word got out and spread, it kind of hindered where Jesus could go. And so Jesus was like trying to avoid that, that unnecessary hindrance from everybody knowing everything about his the Messiah is here because the Messiah is a big deal in Israel. They've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for this king who would come and deliver them from the Roman oppressors and who would establish his kingdom. Number three, Jesus wanted to avoid people's misconception about the Messiah. They were looking for a political Messiah to overturn Rome. Jesus wanted to express humility as the suffering servant. Number five, Jesus wanted to inform us that only through the medium of faith, ultimately in a crucified and humiliated Savior, is his Messiahship personally apprehended. Jesus wanted to avoid recognition from an unreliable source such as demons and hypocritical religious leaders. And number seven, he wanted to identify, uh, he wanted his identity concealed to the point to point to the hostility of the religious and political leaders. Okay, so here's seven reasons why um, why that could be the case that Jesus uh, in Mark particularly says, "Hey, don't let this get out right now." So in this passage, we see Jesus as compassionate. We see him as willing and able to heal, but he's not not only willing and able to heal. He's also willing and able to forgive sins. This is huge. We can't miss this. Because this is really the biggest need that we all have. And the biggest problem that we all have is not our suffering and misery, but our sin. And people, people wanted to bring their immediate need, the thing that they knew is just bothering them and hurting them and they're struggling with. They wanted to bring that to Jesus so that Jesus could give them some relief. But Jesus didn't want that relief to just be mere surface. He wanted to go much deeper than just healing a body. He wanted to heal a soul and save a soul. Many souls. And so Jesus, I love it. I love how he displays his power. I love how he displays his knowledge of people's hearts. The Pharisees' hearts particularly on this scene when they, they let down the paralyzed man. Through the, through the roof. He's preaching and they just break in. This is such a beautiful scene of faith. A, a beautiful scene of faith in Jesus' willingness to use His power to, to do good. He said, which, what, which is easier to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he picked up his bed and he went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is so cool. It's, it's, it's a perfect setup to display the power of Jesus, but also the reality that he, as the Son of God, can heal, not only heal, but forgive sins. He can forgive sins. And this irked the religious leaders. They knew. They knew that him taking, expressing that authority that someone's sins can be forgiven That's a divine role. That's a divine activity that he's expressing. And so they were thinking, this is blasphemy. It irked them. It bothered them. And Jesus, to prove the reality that he does have the right and the power, the authority to forgive sins, he tells this paralyzed man to get up and walk. And it confirms. You see, the power that Jesus demonstrated as he lived his life confirms the authority that he has to forgive and redeem, to rescue, right? He displayed kingdom power. And, and, and especially when we look to the resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day affirms and confirms to you and I who believe in him that we will rise with him. Jesus has the power to forgive sins, and He has the power to raise the dead. He has power to heal sickness. He is the compassionate King. And so what we see here is the kingdom of God breaking in. We see God's kingdom breaking in, in fulfillment of passages in Isaiah, I believe Isaiah 35, where the the lame walk, the blind see. When, when John was struggling in prison and says, hey, uh, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, you know, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for another one? And Jesus quotes Isaiah 35, I believe. And he says, the, bl- the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf, uh, they can hear. And, and he's basically saying what the Messiah does it will do is being done right now. And by, by saying that, he's, I'm, this is it. I'm here. The Messiah is here. And so we see his kingdom breaking in. I love this quote here by Eugene Peterson describing the, God's breaking in of his kingdom on earth, in earth as it is in heaven. The injection of forgiveness in this story shows us something about the rule of God in Christ. Namely, that it is aggressive. It is an aggressive, penetrating rule. It isn't content to let sleeping dogs lie, or sleeping sins for that matter. It isn't satisfied with simply an external manifestation of authority. It isn't willing to rule on the surface. It penetrates and goes deep into the character of its subjects. And when it gets there, it heals, restores, and redeems. Christ our King is concerned with our whole lives, with our spiritual paralysis as well as our physical paralysis. He wants us healed in our bodies and healthy in our souls. There is where the reign of God goes beyond what we normally experience. 
We treat symptoms and he heals diseases. We analyze effects and he deals with causes. We live on the surface of life and he plunges to its depths. And he will plunge to the depths in us when we open our lives to his rule. Mark's concern is that we see something significant about the reign of God breaking into our lives. That we would see Jesus as the first ray of light in the dawn of God's kingdom. That reign is eternally present, which means it's present now, penetrating deeply into us without passing over anything peripheral. That is a loaded section there uh, from from Eugene Peterson that I think is well put. And so he is highlighting here some aspects of the kingdom where as a reverse of the curse of the fall in Genesis 3, Jesus comes bringing his kingdom to restore creation and redeem creatures who have been affected and damaged by the fall relationally spiritually, and even physically. We see the kingdom of God breaking in and changing lives. Now, I know that this is, that there's, some, there's a lot of questions around this and a lot of struggles, and there's a lot of, a lot of things that need to be addressed when we talk about this. Uh, because not, we don't see every Christian experiencing complete physical healing in their body while, while they're here. And so a few things I think are helpful to wrestle through that particular question. So what does that mean for us today? Theologians have addressed this issue, and you see it in the Bible, is the reality of the kingdom already, but not yet. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus announced it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He brought it. He displayed it. And he raised up disciples who would continue the mission of the kingdom. And they raised up disciples and they raised up disciples and they raised up disciples and they raised up disciples. And then we're here today as disciples, as followers of Jesus, as uh, participants in the kingdom of God. And he reigns and rules inside of us. And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we live in this already not yet. The kingdom has come, but we're still looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ will return and consummate and fulfill all that he's promised in in redeeming all of creation. And as we wait, we groan. We groan over the brokenness of this world, over coronavirus that has taken so many lives within the last year, over cancer, over HIV, over different diseases that that have taken people's lives and destroyed people's lives, destroyed the quality of life and just, just taken their lives away from them. One of the things that we look forward to and hope in is complete healing that will occur one day. When we see Jesus' face, there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. And so we live within this tension of this already, not yet. Now, where a lot of Christians get off on one side or the other is maybe they underemphasize the reality that the kingdom has come and the kingdom is present now. 
that there's life and salvation and redemption and even healing available. But, but then others over, overemphasize the right now as if Jesus has already come back and there's complete healing for everybody right now. And that's not the case. We still live in a fallen, broken world. And so we still groan and we still eagerly wait and we still pray for His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, theologians, they, they wrestle with this with, in various ways. Uh, let, me, um, let me just point to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 tells us that if there's somebody sick among you, uh, if there's sick people within the church, that they're to call on the elders, the leaders of the church, and, and request prayer for healing. There's a request prayer for healing. So this is what... Sick people are supposed to do. This is a prescription that is still valid to Christians today. When you're experiencing sickness, pray. Pray about it. Ultimately, I can't make healing happen. But God can. He's still, he's still able. And I believe He's still willing. Now, we may not see complete healing right here and right now. You know, the Apostle Paul had a prayer request for this thorn to be taken out of his side in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he pleaded three times and the Lord saw fit not to remove that thorn from from his side. But he still prayed. He prayed. He asked. And Jesus' response was, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. But one of the things that you and I can look forward to is the reality that we will be healed completely when we see Jesus. He is willing. He is willing. You may not see the fulfillment of that now. And I say pray for it. If you're, if you're fighting some sickness or some disease and you're struggling, pray for it. Plea and appeal to the mercy of God. Cry out to God, and if you know of any sins that, that you're aware of that you need to confess, James 5 says, confess those sins. Confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another that you might be healed. And here at City Church, we're going to do that. If somebody's sick here, we're going to believe God and pray for God's healing. We're going to anoint with oil and, and trust that God would intervene and do the miraculous to do what only He can do, because we believe He, he still does that today. But if he chooses not to, we still rest in the confidence that he will heal us one day. Now, the, these lepers who got healed, the paralytic that got healed, the, the Lazarus, who got raised from, Lazarus who got raised from the dead, they still died. <laughs> you know, they still died, right? And so the, and there's, there's a resurrection coming that we look forward to where we won't experience any more sickness, any more suffering, or any more death. Let me just close with a couple points of application here to allow the compassion of Jesus to shape your life by beholding it and admiring it in his life. Look at his heart. Look at his heart. He's moved with compassion. He's moved with pity. He, he cares about those in suffering. God forbid that our hearts should be hardened and numbed to the suffering around us. You know, throughout Throughout history, Christians have engaged in, in caring for the sick. They have engaged in caring for the sick, like um, 
organizations like Red Cross and, 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 and just throughout history, you see Christians moving towards those who are in misery, orphans without homes, sick people, disabled people. We see Christians stepping up. And the reason why we see them doing that throughout history is because that is the model that Jesus set. He, he, he wants to bring redemption, freedom, healing, and restoration to the whole person. And he does, he does actually care about our bodies. It's wrong thinking to think that he doesn't care at all about these physical bodies as if everything in the physical realm is evil. The, the New Testament church had to address that kind of thinking. Jesus himself had a physical body. And one day in the new creation, we're going to have physical bodies with no more sickness and no more suffering, no more death. And so allow the compassion of Jesus to shape your life, to, to move you, to, uh, to, to do what Jesus did. Now, we may not be able to heal people like Jesus healed people, but we can pray. And we can, we can serve them, and we can care for them, and we can weep with them, and we can walk with them. And praise God for those among us who serve within the medical community. You know, in this last year, the medical community has gotten some attention and gotten some honor, and rightly so, because many serving in the medical community are on the front lines. They're doing hard work, caring for, for people in really difficult situations, and it can get wearisome on your, on, your, on your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your body and as you're engaged in that kind of work. And I, we commend those who are, are working to relieve the misery of others experiencing sickness and disease. And Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, gives us a glimmer of hope. Light breaking into the darkness of the kingdom that is to come. Next, rely and rejoice in the rescue that Jesus came to bring you. It's not just healed bodies that Jesus came to display His power in and authority in healing bodies. He came to forgive sins. He came to redeem sinners, rescue sinners from their sin and from themselves and from Satan's grip. And know that your greatest problem isn't your suffering, but your sin. And he came to address both. You know, as we seek to show mercy, mercy ministry, we seek to show help bring relief to those around us who are suffering and struggling let us do so with, with the, uh, let us seek to give relief to those in misery while aiming to address their deepest need. We don't want to just feed hungry bellies and not give them the bread of life and tell them about the bread of life so that they can have their soul saved and have an eternal life. Now, what, what's happened typically in, in churches that many, uh, many particularly liberal churches tend to focus on the mercy side of meeting those practical needs and more evangelical, Bible focused, committed churches tend to focus on the word and preaching the word. And yes, that is both of those are important and both of those need to be brought together in ministry. Jesus modeled that perfectly. He cared for the whole person. He brought redemption. He brought rescue. And so we want to point others to Him in that. And so let's, let's close in prayer. And as we do, would you just ask the Lord to show you His heart?
to show you his heart. To get a glimpse of his heart, not only for you, but for those around you and I. When Jesus saw people distressed like sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion. When he saw this leper, he was moved with compassion. When his friend Lazarus had died, sisters Martha and Mary were sad. Jesus wept. He was grieved and he was even angry about the damage that sin and death has done in the world. And he came to go face to face with it, to take on the enemy of Satan, sin and death, and to conquer the grave for you and I so that you and I can live eternally with him. Where there's no more sickness, sorrow, sin, or suffering, where there's freedom, forgiveness, and fellowship with him forevermore. And so we long for His kingdom to come in that way. And until we see the fullness of His kingdom come, we pray, God, Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Just imagine what it's like in heaven. And pray for God's will and God's kingdom to come. So God, let Your will be done, we pray. We thank You that You are willing and able to not only heal us, of sickness, but forgive us and free us. In this sin-sick world, Lord, we thank You that You shine through and You break through with rays of hope, with light piercing the darkness, with redemption, with rescue. You are the King And we praise You for being a King who heals, a King who delivers, a King who frees, a King who loves and is moved with compassion. And may we take on more of Your gracious characteristics in our lives. May we reflect the realities of Your kingdom, of Your reign in our hearts and in our lives. Show us Your heart. Christ's name we pray. Everything that God does is good. We see from the beginning of creation, all that He made was good. He saw that it was good. And we messed it up. And He came to bring redemption to our lives, bring His goodness to our lives. We call that the gospel. In the person of Jesus. And He's done something about our suffering. For those, if you're online watching and you're skeptical about Christianity and you have the question, if, if God is really a God of love, then why does He allow suffering in this world? Well, the Bible tells us that He created it good. That mankind rebelled against God. Turned its back on God. And brought... Suffering and death and disease and terrible things into this world. And God did something about it. He's been, in, he's been uh, uh, working throughout history. He's been working. And He sent His Son Jesus to step in to this world and experience suffering in our place. 
Not only to relate to us and sympathize with us, but to redeem us and rescue us. And He promises new creation. And it will be good. And so this morning, if you're watching online or you're here today, taste and see that God's good. Trust in His goodness. Trust that for those who know Him, those who trust Him, that there is endless, boundless goodness waiting for you. And not just waiting for you, but goodness that He wants to chase you down with today. With His goodness and His mercy all the days of your life, as David said in Psalm 23. So He set the table before you. Taste and see that He's good. By coming to Him. By turning from your sin. Trusting in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for your sins. You too will have that word spoken over your life. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you. May He lift up the light of His countenance upon you. May He give you His peace.